Good cross in. And then wide, brilliant finish. And here's the danger. Sam Kerr is away. Is this to be her moment? Miedemar. And Vivian Miedemar scores again. Welcome to Football 51. If you love the beautiful game but want to know more about the football played by 51% of the population, that's women, with tactics and all, we've got you covered. Despite the Arctic conditions, the WSL has served up some sizzlers this weekend and we'll bring you all the reaction as Chelsea catch Arsenal cold, Liverpool finally win against Bristol City and Manchester City ensure it's a blue Monday for Birmingham. Plus, we'll be discussing the impact of foreign players on the league as teams at the top look to bring in more players from down under. That's all coming up on this episode of Football 51. We start with one of the biggest games in the WSL so far. Maybe the biggest game that we've seen. It was a shocker for title holders Arsenal as they faced a hungry Chelsea side. England shots. Brilliant. A special goal in a special game from Beth England. Right. Looking for Kerr, binding Kerr. And she opens up her WSL accounts. In comes the free kick. Ingle hits it. Stunner. It's a once-in-a-lifetime goal from Sophie Ingle. Anderson with the cross, right and with the header. And Chelsea make it four. McCabe with the crossover. And the header has crept in. A mistake by the normally reliable Berger. Full-time here. Arsenal one, Chelsea four. Yes, that's right. Chelsea shot down the Gunners' Arsenal. I can promise you that the tone and the sad nature of that package had nothing to do with the fact that I'm an Arsenal fan. It was perfectly impartial. (laughs) Um, Sophie, you were at the game. Did anyone expect that to happen? Absolutely not. I mean, you spoke. I spoke to Emma Hayes at the end of the game, and she was completely shocked. Um, Just a little clip. Here's what she said about her feelings after her side went three nil up in just twenty minutes. I looked at my watch, and twenty two minutes were, and we were three nil up. And I thought this is a strange situation to be in this position. We have conceded the first goal in something like eight games. We've been horrendous with our execution in terms of creating chances and not finishing. The team hear it relentlessly from me. And yeah, everything we hit in the first 15 minutes went into the top corner. Emma Hayes definitely didn't expect that and no one no one in the stands really did either I mean it was so impressive 10 minutes in Beth England opens up the scoring three minutes later you've got the first goal in the WSL for Sam Kerr and then Sophie Ingle with what was an absolutely amazing strike that we'll go on to talk about later so it was it was a it was a hammering really for the Gunners at home yeah, Sophie Ingle with a lovely goal there. Possible player of the week contender. We'll have to keep listening to find out. Um, what exactly went wrong for the Gunners? 
It's quite interesting, actually. We spoke to Joe Montemurro after the game and he had this to say about his tactics. We decided to not play with a lot of wit. We decided to play with a lot of uh, inside to outside movement. It didn't work. You know, the disappointing thing is that the um, you know we couldn't even get the ball down and play. We couldn't even get down and, and put passes together, which is uh, something that I haven't seen in my two and, two and a bit years that I've been here. This team, as I said, is resilient. It won't give up. Um, it's had a setback. Um, yes, first, it's probably the biggest setback I've had in, in, in my two and, two and a bit years here. So it's quite impressive, actually, to see Joe Montemurro admitting that that was you know one of the biggest things he got wrong in his two and a half years in charge for Arsenal. And... You could really see that, that they had a real problem not not doing any play on the width, really. And what was really interesting was when Beth Mead and Lisa Evans came on, you know, it's quite a big call leaving them off for for the majority of the game. And as soon as they came on, they activated the Arsenal attack. They brought Miedemar into the game. Beth Mead got her consolation goal, which, to be honest, I think the Chelsea keeper should have saved. It went straight through her hands. But you could see that that was a real problem for Arsenal they just weren't using the width properly and then whenever they were on the wings they were just kind of completely stuck there van der Donk was completely cut out all their head all their crosses were cut out by headers from mini bright so that was a real problem for Arsenal I mean it's interesting to see there that Joe Montemurro was so willing to admit that he's got it wrong it's not something that you often see managers coming out you know they're normally people who are quite proud and they're not very happy to admit that they got things wrong but he tried to play, like you say, such a, a game in the middle of the park, which you think would suit Arsenal's players. They're a possession-based team. They like knocking it about the middle of the park. They really should have been able to dominate that Chelsea midfield, but you know, obviously they couldn't, and it ended dramatically, disastrously for them. What does this mean for the title race then? Because Arsenal were top going into the game. They're not anymore, are they? No, they're not. So now Manchester City at the top on goal difference and Chelsea have narrowed the gap at the top to just one point and they have a game in hand because their game was called off. So really Chelsea should be at the top and I think that's a fair reflection of what's been happening in the WSL. You know, Arsenal, do they rely... The question is, do they rely too much on Viviana Miedemar? You know, they Miedemar was completely cut out by Chelsea in this game on the weekend and... Arsenal couldn't make anything without her because the players who were on the wings, you know, you had you had Jordan Nobbs, you had Jill Rod, you had Van der Donk, and they were kind of, you could see that they weren't on fire as much as Miedemar is. So, you know, they couldn't find the final pass. They couldn't find the shot on goal. So I wonder if actually Chelsea have shown a real weakness in the Arsenal side. I mean, Chelsea have shown that they have incredible strength and depth. Like, you know, having four different goal scorers. So, you know, that's going to really count at the end of the season. So though Man City are top, I think Chelsea with that with that game in hand, you know, they they might win the they might win the title. Well you mentioned the four goal scorers there. Amongst them was Sam Kerr. One of the fascinating battles on the day was Sam Kerr versus Viviana Miedemar, who was going to come out on top. The two sort of MVPs, the star players of the WSL who was going to be the victor. And it obviously turned out to be Kerr. She got her first goal, finally, three games in. Many people would have been expecting her to maybe get it against Reading or even last week. But she comes up trumps in the big games. You know, the world-class players delivering the big matches. She did it again. She's been an import from Australia, and it doesn't seem like that's going to be the last. I think Arsenal are looking to bring in a few Australian players as well. Is that right? They are. So 
Rumours around suggest that Arsenal are looking to bring in Catelyn Ford. Um, and so she is actually got quite an impressive, impressive stat. She was the youngest Australian player to play at a World Cup. She played in the 2011 Women's World Cup at the age of 16. So she can play a central or a wide forward, but she also has experience at fullback. So, you know, she's, she's a pretty versatile player. Um, Joe Montemuro, obviously Australian manager, said that they're in discussions with Ford, uh, but he hasn't actually confirmed anything yet. The only problem is Australia still have their Olympic qualifiers to do. So actually Ford wouldn't play for Arsenal until mid-February. And Arsenal are just about to come up against Man City twice. So maybe that's a little bit too late for Arsenal. I don't know. You're killing me, Sophie. I need some positive news as an Arsenal fan. I need something good in my life right now after Sunday. It was just so depressing. It was so sad to see. But, you know, one of the things about um, Montemiro bringing another foreign player into the Arsenal team, without wanting to sound too sort of Brexity or anything about it, um, it means that there's less opportunities for English players in the WSL. And you look at the likes of uh, Viviana Miedemar, Danielle van der Donk, they're the star players of Arsenal. And there's not that many English players in the team. You look at Chelsea, they have, you know, they've got Millie Bright, they've got Frank Kirby's injured quite a lot of the minute, they've got Drew Spence. They've not got that many English players as well. And you're wondering whether this influx of foreign players, is it a good thing for the league in the sense that it's bringing the best quality here and we want the best product the best quality product to be able to be on our screens and to be watching the best entertainment. But is it to the detriment of our national team? I mean, arguably even more to the detriment than Phil Neville being manager is. But is <laughs> is the influx of foreign players coming into uh, the WSL? I mean, we've seen it in the Premier League. It's Correlation might not be causation when it comes to foreigners coming into the league, whether that means that there are worse England national teams. But it's going to be interesting to see whether that has a negative effect. Yeah, I mean, I would actually argue it's a good thing. Seeing Hayley Razzo come to Everton from Brisbane, and then you had Jacinta Galabadarachi from West Ham. Great name. Yeah, great name. Phenomenal um, name. West Ham actually have 16 different nationalities in their team, which is phenomenal. Yeah, for United Nations in East London. Yeah, and I actually think it's kind of sending a signal to the rest of the world because because the W League, the, that's the Australian League, is so well-linked with the American League. So what most players do is they play the season in the American League and then they and then they move over to Australia to play the rest of the year. And what they, why they do that is because they don't get enough money from the American League. So they want to kind of boost their income and make sure they have something to live off for the rest of the rest of the year. So actually, I would argue that if players are coming from the Australian League, you might, you know, one day attract more talent from the American League. And the NWSL is absolutely phenomenal. Like the amount of investment in it, the quality of the players there. You know, if we had someone, I mean, this is shooting high, but if we had Megan Rapino in the WSL, mm. you know, or someone huge like mm. that, it would just do wonders for the amount of people who would watch the game, the sure. quality. But I mean, you're already seeing it with Sam Kerr. Like her, as you said earlier, she, her, her goal was amazing and you could see her prowess in the air as well. You know, she when she leaps, she leaps. Like you can really see yeah, her. For someone who's not very tall, she is amazing in the air. She, she gave Leah Williamson all manner of problems at the back post. She really did. She really did. Um, so yeah, it was, you know, one Australian player showing her prowess. Maybe many more will come. We'll have to we'll have to wait and see. That was the the top of the table. 
you know, that was the, the big fight for the title race. Kai, you've been focusing on the bottom of the table. Yeah, as with most things, you get the glamour and I get the... Oh. Well, I'll say the less glamorous type, but it turned out to be a very in- interesting, entertaining game between Bristol City and Liverpool. Probably our first relegation six-pointer of the WSL so far. They're the bottom two sides in the league. It was massive for Liverpool, their first win of the season so far, which is amazing when you think about it. It's been so long. I mean, you know, we are what? Um, we are, we are what, 13 games into the season now and Liverpool have only just picked up their first win. It's not a great look for the franchise as a whole, but we could, you know, I could, I could talk for another half an hour about that regardless. <laughs> I'm going to stay focused on this. It's a big win for Liverpool because it moves them out of the relegation zone now, actually, above Bristol City on goal difference because Liverpool, for the, all their sort of poor results and the fact that they haven't been able to win any games, they've weirdly been defending really well. Their only problem has been that they just haven't been able to score goals, and that means their defense is going to start. Sorry, their goal difference is going to stand them in good stead when it comes to being in a relegation battle, which they now finally are in because it looked like they had been cut adrift. But they're above Bristol City now; they're one point behind Birmingham. We've got a proper relegation battle on our hands. It's a really good point, actually. You know how tight they've kept score lines. You know, with the draw against Chelsea, and then didn't they keep Arsenal one nil? You know, I mm. think. I think Liverpool have been hard done by by some of their results. You know, they haven't been able to find the net, but they've actually they've actually kept teams out really well. And one thing, yeah, I remember you saying, you know, about this game, how good how good their goalie was. Yeah, Anka Preuss was my uh, player of the match. She has been key to Liverpool's, you know, outstanding defensive record this season, despite the fact that they are bottom of the table. She saved the penalty from Wellings, which came after good work from Ebony Salmon, who I know you're a fan of, Sophie. Oh, yes. She made countless other big saves, a big save from Bailey as well towards the end, as Liverpool were really clinging on for that win, and they dug in and were resilient and managed to hold on. Having a good goalkeeper is invaluable. You know, there's always that old adage in the game that a good goalie can give you an extra three to six points a season, and this is literal physical proof, this game. And Anka Preuss was fantastic. And she helped keep that clean sheet. She's the kind of goalie that really values a clean sheet. They celebrate it as much as they celebrate goals at Liverpool. And, you know, it's 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 nice to see. I like to see it. But were Bristol just wasteful with their chance? I mean, the goalie was good, but were they wasteful? Uh, it's it's difficult to say. I mean, I think it's it's harsh to say that they were wasteful. They didn't create that many big chances for a team that you'd expect to be creating more given that they're at the bottom of the table and it's a relegation six-pointer against their rivals you'd expect probably a little bit more going forward from Bristol City given that Bristol sorry given that Liverpool even like to sit deeper and sure they had their chances the penalty was vital but you know you can miss penalties that happens as part of the game Bailey will be really upset to have missed her chance can you really miss penalties as part of the game that's ha- quite a big loss, isn't it? Of course, of course, it's, it's, it's a good chance. It's probably as good a chance as you're going to get, but it happens, you know. It's not something that you can necessarily say they were outstandingly wasteful just because they missed a penalty. I think they definitely created other chances and they had more than their fair share of chances to score, but a lot of it was down to Anker Preuss just being fantastic. Fair enough. But, I mean, you know, maybe, maybe Liverpool are just too, too defensive. You know, if they, if their goalie is your star player, does that really show a lot of skill from them? No, no, no. no you're right. It doesn't. Um, I have a problem with Liverpool's tactics in general when it comes to how they approach the game. I think they are far too defensive and far too cautious in their outlook. They operate a very uh, 
deep block for most games. They tend to sit back and try and hit teams on the break with the pace of Rinsola Babadide. But, Another great name. Yes, no, they keep on coming. But she she has just not been clinical enough. She hit the inside of the post. She was very unlucky on Sunday, but she hasn't got any goals. She hasn't got any assists this season. And, you know, I obviously don't want to single out uh, an individual player and sort of dig them out too much. But if she's not carrying her weight at the other end of the field, Surely you need to get more people in support of her. They do have some attacking talent and they're not really making the most of it. Instead, they want to sit back and defend in numbers. I don't really think that's how you win games in the modern... Sorry, how you win matches in the modern game. I don't really think that's how you win matches in the modern game. I think it needs to be a more offensive effort. And I think Liverpool really needs to just take the handbrake off. And they're only in the WSL potentially for one season. They might as well go down fighting if they're going to go down at all. You know, I just like to see good football. Maybe that's just maybe that's just me. No, I think it's fair. I think they put too much pressure on Babajide to score. You know, she's always the one they're relying on, and actually, you know, she's not on. She's not an Ellen White. Is she really going to provide them with all their goals? I I agree. I agree with that. Actually, rare moment. I agree with you, Kai. Yeah, finally we got a bit of consensus. That's always a great thing to have on the podcast. You know, I'm very happy that we agree finally, Sophie. <laughs> Hi, I'm Sophie Engel. You're listening to Football Fifty One. Not so much harmony in the Man United Spurs game where there was a red card late on as Man United really claimed quite an impressive victory. Um, could you even see what was going on on the game, though? <laughs> it was really tough. OK, so Man United uh, played Spurs and they won 3-0, which is quite an impressive scoreline. So Man United and Spurs are kind of the best of the rest. You've got the top three, Arsenal, Chelsea, Man Man City, who were kind of fighting it out for the top of the table. And then Man United and Spurs were both newly promoted into the Women's Super League this season. Um, And they're currently in fourth and fifth. But you're right, Kaya. It was very difficult to see this win for Man United (laughs) Spurs. It was so foggy. I, I mean, you literally... You watch it back. I mean, I was at the Arsenal-Chelsea game, so I was watching it, watching the replays. But you literally can't see the ball half the time. I don't know why, you know, I'd be very gutted if I just spent money on a ticket. You probably couldn't see the ball half the time. Um, but, I mean, even so, Man United will be will be very happy with, with that win. Yeah, it was one for the old uh, orange balls I think you used to get on FIFA. You used to get those <laughs> luminous orange balls that you're able to see anywhere in the world. You know, you can see those things from out of space. I'm getting sidetracked by FIFA chat. I'm reminiscing. I want to focus on the game. Um, 3-0 on the day. Was that a fair reflection or was it actually a little bit more even than that? I would say it's actually not a very fair reflection uh, because United took until the second half to score their goals. Admittedly, they did score two goals in seven minutes. Katie Zellum with a penalty um, after a little tussle in the box there and then Jess Sigsworth um, just poking the ball in off a corner. But, you know... Spurs did hit the woodwork twice in the space of three minutes with Emma Mitchell and Rihanna Dean, who we heard from both last week. And um, But you cannot deny that United's goal, Katie Zellum free kick, which just curled around the wall mm. into the right-hand side of the net, was, was very impressive. I know Katie Zellum... I've spoken to her before. She's so proud to play for United. She's she's grown up there. Her parents love watching her. She's united through and through to captain that side and then to be scoring goals like that. That is really, really impressive. An absolute beauty of a free kick. Uh, you know, in those foggy conditions, it's very impressive that she could even see the goal, let alone bend it into the goal like she did. That is very true. I mean, one thing that you, you weren't sure if they'd be able to see was what was happening with Ella Toon right at the end of the game. So she... 
In injury time, she picked up a red card. Ella Toon's quite a young player, but she's kind of grown up through the, uh, through the Man United ranks. One of the United players um, was taking the ball all the way up the pitch, and then suddenly, right back, the, the player who passed it, Ella Toon, has caught up in some kerfuffle off the ball, and suddenly, and suddenly the 18-year-old is um, given a red card. So the young players in Man United have actually received red cards before. We had Lauren James sent off for some dodgy tackles. So there's some young talent they need to maybe control a bit there. Mm. I mean, it's nice to see a bit of passion, but you don't want it to go too far. That's you know, If you can see it at all with yeah. those conditions. That is very Sorry true. to keep referring to them, but it was ridiculous. If anyone gets a chance to check out the highlights, please do. It was it was absolutely ridiculous. Now moving on to another tie. We've had top of the table with Arsenal, Chelsea. You had bottom of the table, Liverpool, Bristol City. We had mid-table, Man United, Spurs. And Kai was focusing on a game that spans that whole table, Man City, Birmingham. How did that start for Man City, Kai? Well, it started very well for Man City, actually. Uh, quite ironically, with Robin Cowan in the commentary, she was talking about how important it is for Birmingham to make a fast start, for Birmingham to keep Man City out for as long as possible. And then, of course, 33 seconds later, Ellen White has the ball in the back of the net and City are leading 1-0. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, the irony is palpable. But uh, it was it was the sign of a good afternoon for Man City. It was a very professional performance. You like to see them, you know, probably not at their best, but still winning games, which is the sign of potentially a title-winning side. We'll have to wait and see. We spoke about a proper title race in our hands earlier in the show. We'll have to wait and see if that really materialises. Yeah, and especially Ellen White, you know, who used to play for Birmingham. I think on coming back from her knee injury this season, she scored against against Birmingham on her debut on the way back. So, you know, good player to have it. Um, I wonder, because obviously, you know, part of the, the City franchise and um, we've been talking a lot about Nick Cushing, who's going to be leaving Man City. Did you notice, I know she... I, I know you said you noticed something about, you know, the influence of Guardiola or Nick Cushing. Can you talk to us about that? Well, it's quite interesting to see what Nick Cushing has done with his fullbacks at Manchester City in the way that he has Demi Stokes tucked in on the left-hand side, which is a side, sorry, tucked in in defence on the left-hand side to sort of form a back three when City have possession, allowing Janine Becky to push up even higher and join the attack. It's great to see Stokes doing a more defensive side to her game. It's not something that we necessarily knew she had. When she plays for England, she's associated with sort of bombing up and down the left flank, making overlapping runs, getting forward, helping the attack. But now she's playing a more disciplined role, which is really allowing Janine Becky to flourish because she links up really well. And it's interesting that both the Manchester City goals came from this right-hand side where she's linked up well with Jill Scott. She Mm, creates a lot of width. Yeah, she creates a lot of width on the wing. And Scott is allowed to sort of play in the half space, link up with Becky. And it led to Ellen White's goal, where Becky and uh, Scott combined to cross it in for White to tap in the the opening goal of the game. And then it helped uh, in the second goal as well, where the the ball was on the right-hand side, a lovely cutback, and uh, Kira Wall scored a fantastic finish. It's the kind of stuff we're used to seeing with Manchester City, where they get it out wide, they create overloads in the wide spaces, they get as many people as they can in these concentrated areas of the pitch to try and, try and create as many passing options as possible. It makes it very difficult for the opposition because they can't get a hold of the ball and they have to press somewhere and they overload on one side and City try to keep quite a wide base. 
it's worked really well, especially now Paulina Bremer's in the team. They create a lot of overload in the mm. midfield. So they've got their team set up in sort of a box formation with the midfield. You've got Walsh, Scott, um, two other midfielders. You've got a midfield four in a box shape and they're behind Ellen White and Paulina Bremer up top. Bremer didn't get any goals today, but she was um, on Sunday, but she was a constant menace for that Birmingham City defence. They really couldn't deal with her. And those overloads are really causing a lot of teams problems. I don't know if it's going to impact the title race that much, these tactical innovations, because you compare City to start of the season, how they were playing tactically compared to now, it's night and day. But it's going to be interesting to see. Yeah, I mean, Janine Becky has had such an impact switching her to right back, you know, she's fit in there so well, hasn't she? Yeah, I mean, she's initially a, a striker, is she not? Yeah, and yeah, now yeah. she's playing right back. I mean, that's the kind of tactical versatility you see in Manchester City across the club. Yeah, it's brilliant. There was another blue on blue tie this weekend as Everton took on Reading. So Everton are now in fifth and Reading are in sixth. And um, this was, you know, this was the game of Chloe Kelly. I would really? Have to say. Oh well, she got a hat trick, didn't she? She was fantastic in this mid-table clash. Everton, obviously, looking to claim that fourth spot that we spoke so much about last week. I'm tipping Reading to get there myself. But how good was Chloe Kelly uh, in the game? She was brilliant. I have to say, you know, she's been great from the start of the season. You, you noticed her against against Bristol City in, in September. She scored two worldy goals, and she kind of came onto the stage, and everyone's going hang on a second, Chloe Kelly. And there were a lot of murmurs when she didn't get called up into Phil Neville's England squad. You know, she's been playing that well. She scored eight goals. Um, so that's fourth top of any goal scorer in the WSL. And the hat trick this weekend was impressive. The first goal was a one-on-one with, with the Reading goalkeeper, Rachel Laws, who she beat easily. You should never leave Chloe Kelly in that much space in the box. Mm. That's all I have to say. The second goal, questionable whether it was intended. It was actually a corner kick that curled into the goal. An Olympic goal. Yeah. Which Lovely. Was, which was, it's impressive, but there's so many players around. You can't help but wonder whether she actually did mean it to go straight in the goal. For her sake, we'll say she definitely meant it. Yeah. No one yeah. needs to know. No yeah, one needs to know. Yeah, for sure. And then the third goal, I mean, it, it bobbles in past the keeper, but, you know, Chloe Kelly will take it. She's only 22 years old. And actually, because she scored a hat-trick, she's the first Everton player to score a league hat-trick since Tony Duggan in 2013. And we've seen the heights that Tony Duggan has gone on to. So, you know, watch this place with Chloe Kelly. She's keeping good company. But uh, how does the overall team result for Everton affect the mid-table of the WSL? The thing is, Everton are a side that, you know, like to foster young talent. They don't actually have masses of money. They never expected to be this high. You know, last season they were they were down the bottom of the table. And now they've got fantastic signings, you know, Sandy McIver, uh, Izzy Christiansen, you know, it's 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 very impressive. So they'll be really happy with this with this mid table. Uh, with this mid-table result. You know, Reading, the only goal they got was from a Farrah Williams penalty and Reading have been really impressive. You know, they scored the first goal against against Chelsea last weekend. So Everton will be happy with that win and, you know, going above Reading in the table is will be very, very important to them. But from upper mid-table to lower mid-table, there was another clash between West Ham and Brighton. This one had a lot of late drama. My goodness, yes, I'm just looking at when the, when the goals were scored. That's Seamless crazy. research, seamless research. Wow. 
Tell us, tell us how, how did that happen? How did, how did West Ham bounce back from that late sucker bunch against Spurs? Well, they went and sort of, <laughs> they gave Brighton the same treatment. They were a goal down up until the 80th minute when Alicia Lehman pops up with an equaliser and the game seems like it's heading towards a draw. Up pops Alicia Lehman yet again with her second of the game, West Ham's second of the game, and they claim a victory late on. Wow. That's that's amazing, isn't it? That late winner. You know, that could that could be their signature thing. They're, they're taking after Reading for the late the late goals. We love to see it. There's drama all over the WSL this weekend. Now last week we really pointed out that the West Ham fullbacks needed work. You know, they were letting in uh, Rizelayan, you know, run mm. over all the field, creating all the goals. Were they any better? The short answer is no. Uh, they weren't much better. They were way too high up the pitch for most of the game. They kept constantly being caught out by balls from deep from Brighton, who really created lots of chances and probably could have won the game if they had a more clinical striker. It just created more and more problems for Gilly Flaherty and Grace Fisk at the back. And, you know, you have to feel sorry for that back too because... What are they supposed to do when you've got the full Brighton attack coming at you? There's not a lot you can do to try and stop that. They were really exposed, left on their own. If West Ham are going to play this attacking fullback formation, they need to work on a way of getting more support from the midfield, maybe to sort of plug the gaps left by their offensive fullbacks, because it's a real problem. And against more clinical teams than Brighton, who, like I said, had their first share of chances, they really could have been on the wrong side of a hammering. Yeah, they really need to sort that out, don't they? A few tactical changes we've highlighted there that, that teams need to sort out. That rounds off all the games in the WSL this week. But hang around for our player and moment of the week. So, Kaya, the big moment has come. We've done all the analysis. Who was your player of the week? Yes, the reason why all the listeners are really here and they stayed this long. Player of the week. Um, I spoke about her loads in my analysis of Liverpool, Bristol City, and I'm going to make her my player of the week. I'm going to talk about her again. Anka Price, fantastic one of the match performance in the Liverpool-Bristol City game. Key to helping her team win their first game of the season. I'll repeat that again. First game of the season. I mean, it's just ridiculous. After 13 <laughs> it is ridiculous. How have Liverpool not won a game up until this point? It just, it, uh, it upsets me, but... She was amazing. She has been amazing all season. And finally, she got her just rewards for an outstanding display. But um, I feel like I'm hogging all the airtime here. I don't want to do that. Who was yours, Sophie? I went for a bit more of a mainstream mainstream answer this week, having gone for slightly odd balls. La- not odd balls. That's how I'm really rude <laughs> about the players. Slightly odder choices last week. I went for Guru Wrighton. She was absolutely phenomenal for Chelsea against Arsenal this week. You know, we've said it before, it was a really important game for Chelsea. She provided the two assists for the first goals and then she scored her own goal in the in the second half. You know, her her uh, cross over to Sam Kerr showed some incredible vision. It was such a long cross all the way down the pitch and then Sam Kerr just leapt into the air, you know, how, how anyone can even see that far with that sun, <laughs> let alone have that precision. It was amazing. And then that glancing header off Jonna, and- Jonna Anderson's cross. You know, Guru Wrighton was phenomenal for Chelsea. I just want to point out that when you said she scored her own goal, you mean that she scored for Chelsea. Yes, not, yes, not, yes she scored not against her, her own team. Personal own 
goal I for mean, herself. That would, that would be great if you could win Player of the Week by scoring your own goals. You know, we might see a lot more entertaining comedy moments in the some WSL. Some more oddballs, yeah. Uh, yeah, some more oddballs. <laughs> I'm, I'm all here for the oddballs. Um, moving on from Player of the Week, what was your moment of the week, Sophie? My moment of the week was Sophie Ingalls' goal. See, that's, I, why, that's why I wrote Sophie Ingalls. Yeah, I knew, that, I knew yeah, there was something yeah, to do with Sophie Ingalls. Yeah, Ingle. yeah, yeah. All, all the excuses. Yeah, sorry. Um, I've seen so many people say that this was goal of the season so far. Yeah. It was amazing. You know, the ball was coming, I think it was a free kick, and then there was a clearance, and then Sophie Ingle just catches it on the half volley with her left foot and fires with so much power into the right-hand corner. If you haven't seen the clip, you should definitely see the clip of the shot. She was just amazing, and... It's actually quite funny. This is what Emma Hayes said about Sophie Ingle after seeing that goal. I don't know what she had for breakfast this morning, but I've rarely seen that in training from her. But that's what she is, such a good player. She, someone told me she got man of the match, player of the match. She's so clever. She's so such a great leader. I've said it before. Team GB should be building a team around Sophie Ingle. Wow, 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 we also heard her say <laughs> um, from the benches. We didn't get that on recording. Um, so that was amazing. Kai, what about you? Moment of the week. I'd just like to point out that it's not just Emma Hayes, who's a big fan. Didier Drogba tweeted his appreciation of that goal Ooh. with just a lot of shock face emojis, which I think was probably about the same expression as everyone for maybe the next hour, just jaws dropped down to the floor. It was incredible. You heard the crowd go, Wow, and then all the Chelsea players ran over to the home fans and you know, we were in a huddle and they were jumping around. You know, it was brilliant. There's something to be said for the roar of a crowd, but the genuine gasp of when like yes. you're not expecting an amazing goal to come and then it just comes from a player who's so unexpected, such as Sophie Ingle, to score a great goal like that. You know, whether we should build Team GB, team GB around her or something else. Yes, that's a big question. I mean, she's from she's from Wales. She's been she performs well for you Wales. A bit of a Welsh accent when you said that. Oh, did I? From Wales. <laughs> um, she's been performing well for Wales, but you know, Phil Neville. I'm not sure he's going to add much uh, talent from Scotland and Wales. That's a bit controversial. I think Kim Little will get in, mm. but you know, it's it's really tough. He's only got 18 slots. You know, that's way fewer than the World Cup. I don't know if Sophie Ingle will be a key member of that squad. What do you reckon? No, probably not. I think there are probably some le better left-backs out there in Britain who could play for Team GB quite easily. No offence, Sophie Ingle is a terrific goal and you know a fantastic performance all round, but I don't think that's going to see Phil Neville picking her in his team. No, and also Emma Hayes, as you heard, admitted that she doesn't score them very often. So you know. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. It's not one to rely on. Um, Kaya, what was your moment of the week? Um, my moment of the week is definitely going to be Liverpool's first win of the Premier League season. First win. It's just as shocking to say as it was the last 50,000 times I've said it in this podcast. First win, three points. <laughs> I don't know if this is going to have a positive effect on Liverpool to the extent that they're going to bounce on and start winning more and more games now. It's a monkey off their back. They were worried about it for so long, just about getting that first win. Just, you know, just shutting all the doubters up, shutting up all the critics and finally just getting the getting the W on the board and it's really boosted their chance to survival. They're out of the relegation zone, like we said earlier on in the show. And we'll have to wait and see. It's a proper three team relegation battle and a proper three team WSL battle. So coming up next week, we've got some exciting ties. The WSL isn't actually back in action until the 2nd of February, which will actually be Nick Cushing's last game Sad as Man see. City manager. Sad to see. We're going to miss you, Nick. 
This weekend, we've got the FA Cup, which brings an exciting Manchester derby and Arsenal are also going to play West Ham. Then we've got the Conti Cup semi-finals midweek. That's another Arsenal-Man City game. So Arsenal are going to play Man City twice in a week, I think, which is quite quite a tall order. Um, the other Conti Cup semi-final tie is, of course, Manchester United against Chelsea. So some some very big games coming up. Yeah, very exciting. I'm loving to see all these heavyweight clashes going on in the WSL and the women's game in general right now. It's all very exciting to see. Well, we'll be back next week for a reaction to all the FA Cup fixtures that have come up over the weekend for another episode of Football 51. If you want more content from us in the meantime, feel free to check us out on Twitter, which is at Football51Pod, which is a capital F football the number 51 capital p pod and we're the same on instagram as well so give us a follow see you all next week